sure was encouraging to hear you uh, sharing your one-word testimony about who Jesus is and who he's been, and that encourages my heart, and I'm sure it encouraged uh, many others in here as well. Uh, speaking of testimony, as I uh, studied this week, in, uh, we're in chapter 2 of 1 Corinthians, so we're steadily making our way through this first segment, and uh, I found myself thinking back to the most important uh, day of my life. Um, summer of 1982, I was at a, a Young Life camp, Frontier Ranch, out in Colorado, so beautiful mountains, and was out there for a week. Uh, if you ever want to hear the whole story, just grab me, I'd love to tell it to you. There's a whole lot that God was doing in me and around me and just even get me to camp, but um, during that week, as is very common with summer camps, uh, there was a speaker. And uh, you know, it's funny, I, I don't remember his name. Don't remember a thing about him. I, I don't remember what he looked like. Uh, I, I don't remember, you know, being like overcome by his oratory skill or uh, anything like that. I just, uh, I remember being spellbound by his story, taking us from Genesis all the way through Revelation. And I'd never heard it before, the, the whole thing. I'd heard little bits and pieces, you know, I knew who David and Goliath were and that kind of thing, but just had never heard it all together. And over the course of that week, he laid out the, the big story. Like here's, here's a picture of it, these four panels. Like this is the big plan of God, creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. I just had never seen it all there before. And then by the end of the week, he invited me to respond to Jesus as my Savior. And, and truthfully, before that week, I, you know, I believed in God. I thought he was out there somewhere, and I thought he was probably holy and perfect and all that kind of stuff. And, but I, I didn't really think he wanted to have anything to do with a guy like me. And I heard that week that the God who put that plan together loved me that he actually wanted to have a relationship with me. And he had done everything that needed to be done so that I could be forgiven, I could be adopted into his family as his son, I could be made new, certainly positionally, but, but like at the end of his plan, when he restores all things, I could be a part of that. Blew me away, I was overcome. So I remember at the end of that week, the last night of camp, I'm sitting out in this beautiful place under the stars, and I just said, Lord, if you'll have me, would you forgive me and uh, make me your own? I became a Christian. And you know what? Everything didn't just change like a light switch. You know, it just wasn't like next day I was holier than thou. I just, I began this lifelong journey that I can't even believe it. It's 35 years old. And it's been an amazing up and down, imperfect, all over the place. But, but here's what I did. I remember just saying, you know what? I'm, I'm a Christian, so I'm just going to learn about this Christian stuff. So I read like crazy and I lit like back then, I don't think we had, I think it was eight track tapes or cassettes or something, but you know, not high technology. But anyway, so I'm listening to everything. I'm going to church all the time. 
Um, I'm in small groups having discussions. So you get what I'm saying, lots of input. And God used that over 35 years to just bring about all kinds of change. And I remember thinking at various points along the way just how enriched my life was by all that God had provided for his children, particularly in the form of like content, that kind of thing. Now, there is a part of my story that's important as it relates to our passage today because I remember as a young Christian, I got pretty excited about knowing stuff. You guys remember that? Like, I was like, wow, there's like big words and, you know, kind of sophisticated uh, thoughts and concepts and language. And I, th I thought that was pretty cool. I even went so far as to uh, be excited about how I looked when I knew stuff, right? Like the impression that I had on other people when I said smart things. It, it went so far as to, uh, to be that I was more excited about looking good than loving well. And doesn't that sound strange for a Christian? To, to be more excited about looking good than loving well. That's really strange, but, but that was me. And uh, it struck me that I forgot about that guy, that, that speaker at that camp who came to that camp and he wasn't fancy. He didn't use big words. He didn't wow us with his presentation. He just told the story. And the story was actually the point of it all, not him. I, I didn't catch that until much later. Um, but I thought about him this week. And I thought uh, that was a major problem for me to have that kind of excitement. Um, I wasn't growing more gracious with people. I was actually becoming more dogmatic about secondary things. In my immaturity, I was more interested in winning debates than I was preserving unity with fellow Christians. I was attempting to make a name for myself and doing it on the back of Christian theology. How crazy is that? So I thought about that camp speaker and I wondered if he were to write me a letter, like if he'd have heard about me and he'd have probably shaken his head and said, poor guy. And if he were to write me a letter, I think it would have looked a lot like chapter two of 1 Corinthians. It certainly resonated with me as I read it this week. I think he might've said, this is point one in your outline, but believers are called to magnify the message, not the messenger. We, we so often get that backwards. Here's the way Paul put it in uh, chapter two. He said, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. Remember, this is Apostle Paul. Fear, weakness, trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, 
but in the power of God. Now, these five verses, they're actually finishing a thought that Paul began back in chapter 1, verse 18. And what he's doing here, and I, I think that camp speaker would have done this with me. It's like he's connecting them backward with their story. He's helping them remember what it was like when grace found them. So he takes them back, beginning, uh, I'll start in verse 26. This is out of the message, but, but listen to what Paul is reminding them of as he uh, addresses this issue in their lives. He says, take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you. Not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that the culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, chose these nobodies to expose the hollow pretenses of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by with blowing your own horn before God. Everything that we have, right thinking, right living, a clean slate, a fresh start, comes from God by way of Jesus Christ. If they were to really let that sink in and they would think about the culture in which they live, remember Corinth is all about appearances. They are all about looking good, not loving well. That would have been a, a pretty sobering reminder but that's exactly where Paul wanted them to be, to understand how are you going to change and how are you going to mature so that you don't think like this for 35 years or longer. Beginning in uh, chapter two, verse one, Paul reminds them of his introduction to them. He, he reminds them that this is how the message came to you, And notice the words that he uses to describe it. And he was intentionally unpretentious. Very clear. No lofty speech or wisdom. Those words specifically mean no um, superior eloquence or brilliance. Like those $25 words, right? None of that. Paul wasn't polished as he came to them. He says he was in weakness, fear, and much trembling. And that really does sound foreign to me when I think about my image of the Apostle Paul, but that's what he says. He says, that's the, that's the condition I was in. And that could have been certainly physical. It could have been emotional. It could have been social. I mean, if I were Paul coming to Corinth, I think I'd have been a little nervous for a lot of reasons. He just admits it. He's authentic. This is where I was when I came to you. And I'm assuming that they knew that. That was no surprise. No plausible words of wisdom. Literally, that means no persuasive, coercive kinds of language. It was just plain and simple. I just told you the story. Very focused on Christ. I think Paul could have said the messenger ought to never outshine the message. And if it does, something's wrong. You guys remember John the Baptist when Jesus was really kind of getting into his ministry and his disciples, do you remember? They, they said, hey, John, that, that Jesus guy, you know, that you baptized, 
Well, everybody's going to him. Like everybody wants to be baptized by Jesus. And John said, he must increase, I must decrease. That's the deal. Paul had a singular objective when he went to Corinth. He says, I wanted to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Now that doesn't mean that Paul had nothing else to say, right? He, I mean, certainly we have a lot of books, Romans being one of them, where there, he has a lot to say. But it's as if he's saying, listen, I've got one big idea, okay? And if you don't get this, then all of the other stuff doesn't matter. It is absolutely irrelevant. You have to understand Christ and him crucified because that's the gateway into all that will help you live this life. But you can't get them backwards. You have to get that first. And so he focuses in and then he mentions a demonstration of the spirit and of power. And so again, he's probably reminding them that it wasn't my fancy talking that changed your life. It was that you saw the power of God probably in some miraculous signs, but also you saw how that story changed people that you know. Like you saw how they lived prior to believing. And that was evidence that this is the real thing. People just don't change like that. Now, why was Paul coming at it this way with these people? Well, certainly we've learned a lot about the city of Corinth, but he says very specifically, here's his purpose, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So a great opportunity for us to ask a question. If, if we're going to be introspective this morning, would I say that my faith is really rooted in the wisdom of people, the wisdom of culture, the, the big ideas and the fancy words of the church, or is it rooted securely in the power of God? Great, great question for all of us to ask. Paul knew that the faithfulness, fruitfulness of our faith is determined by its object. Right? Like we all have faith. We all believe in something, but the quality of our faith and its fruitfulness is directly tied to its object. If it's in the wrong place, it's deader than a doornail. The only secure place for faith to find rest is in God's power. Now, here's an application for us because if you're a believer, you're going to go a lot of different places and you're going to have opportunities to say something to the people that you're around. Maybe it's back in the borough. Maybe it's in your community group. Maybe you teach a class somewhere. Maybe you're talking to a neighbor or a coworker. But in all of those places, you're going to have opportunities to speak. So what is going to be the focus of your message? Is it going to be Christ and him crucified? Is that really the driving force of what you have to say to this world? Or is it something else? And I don't mean that we're not relatable. I don't mean that uh, we're just, uh, we're detached and insensitive to people. I just mean that that is what is pushing us into the lives of the people that are around us.
Christ and him crucified because we believe that that's the only answer to everything that we see around us. Second question or second statement to you that are spiritual. God's wisdom is available to all believers but in proportion to maturity. Beginning in verse 6, Paul says, Yet among the mature, we do impart wisdom. Although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away, but we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. Now, if you've been reading ahead, or maybe just as you listened, uh, as I've read these two segments, it may seem like they're a little bit at odds with each other. It sounded like in the first thing he said, I didn't come with a bunch of wisdom, but we impart wisdom to mature people. So which is it? Like, what's he talking about? The, the first wisdom that he was referencing in the first five verses, that's really much more of an earthy, earthly wisdom. It's the ideas and opinions and thoughts of humanity. But in this second uh, segment here, Paul is really pointing to wisdom that is unique to God. It, it, you could say it is the mind of God. And it stands all by itself. It's called secret and hidden. Uh, that's not so much mystical as if, boy, you really got to search hard and be smart and figure it all out. It's just literally meaning this wisdom in particular was stuff that God knew, stuff that God had planned, and he revealed at the time of his choosing. And so it's actually wisdom that has been revealed. And it all focused around the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. That's the wisdom that he's referring to. Now, it's not as simple as what I just said, uh, although it's never less than that. That is the wisdom that he's pointing toward, but then that wisdom is vast. It's actually inexhaustible, right? I mean, think about the wisdom of God. Are you ever going to get to the end of that? Probably not. But he's saying... We have that message that God has revealed and we share it among the mature. Now, mature there, just try and think with me here about a, a child. And if you're trying to share something incredibly complicated or sophisticated to a child, that's going to be hard for them to grasp because they just don't have the context. They haven't lived enough life to go, okay, I know how to process whatever it is you're telling me. They have to mature to get to a place where they can grasp that. They can get simple concepts, simple ideas early on, and then that grows with time. Same way spiritually. Paul is saying, there is this message of wisdom that God has unveiled, and I can tell you the simple story. I can tell you the basics, and you can get it if you're in relationship with God. But there is so much more to that story, so much more depth that you're going to need to mature in order to understand it. 
Now, this has been distorted. It's been made into like elitism. Like only the real smart people get the really important stuff and all the rest of us were just out of luck. That's not what he's trying to get at here. He's just saying that maturity and wisdom grow simultaneously and they grow in proportion to one another. So say it another way. If you think that you can just coast through life and not do anything to develop your spiritual maturity, there is no way that you can actually believe that you're going to grow in wisdom later in life. They have to grow together. You grow in maturity and you grow in wisdom and both of those feed each other. There is a difficult sentence uh, at the end of this segment in verse 9. And uh, let me read that to you. He's quoting out of Isaiah. He says, As it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. What he's trying to get at again is this unique bit of wisdom that only God possesses and only he can deliver. In the, uh, the New English translation, it says it this way, Things that no eye has seen or ear heard or mind imagined are the things God has prepared for those who love him. So how do we get that stuff? How do we get that wisdom? That's in uh, the next section, verses 10 through 13, and it has everything to do with the Spirit. Everything to do with the Spirit. Uh, In your outline, spiritual truth is encrypted and unlocked by the Holy Spirit. And if you don't get this, then you're going to try and unlock the wisdom of God in your own power with your own thinking. And... uh, It's going to be a very frustrating endeavor. Because what Paul wants us to understand is God is very gracious and generous with his truth, but he only gives it to those who come to him from a place of dependence, not a place of self-reliance. So let's look at verse 10. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. For the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. Now, here's an illustration. For who knows a a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him, right? That makes sense. Like, you know what you're thinking, and nobody else knows it in the same way or to the same extent that you do. He continues, so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God. Why? That we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Now, don't just read over that. That ought to blow your mind. The Spirit is the only one. He is equally God with the Father and the Son, but He knows the mind of God as well as anyone. He comes to us to reveal the mind of God to us, takes up residence in us so that we might understand that which is freely given to us by grace, through faith, in the person of Jesus Christ as a result of his crucifixion and resurrection. What a provision. Verse 13, 
And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. So let me talk for just a minute about the Holy Spirit. Because honestly, in chapter 2, this, this really is, this seems to be the point that Paul is trying to make. He, he reminded these people that you were absolutely bankrupt when the word of grace came to you and you believed. And from that point forward, the only hope that you have in terms of growing and understanding how to live your life is the Holy Spirit and what the Holy Spirit does with his word. So the pri- one of the primary functions of the Holy Spirit is to enable understanding, and he does that in three ways. First of all, the Holy Spirit reveals. Now, I'm going to use a big word, but it's no big deal. He makes supra-rational things knowable. So it's those things that just your reasoning isn't going to get there. But the Spirit is able to help us make sense of things that our minds just wouldn't get any other way. So the Spirit reveals. Think of it like this. If you look up into the sky at night, there's a whole lot of black. And there's a few little specks of light. But you really can't see that far, right? I mean, you're just seeing little dots of light. That's, that's what you got. That's the best that your eyes will ever be able to see all by themselves. But if we put you behind a telescope, all of a sudden you have ability that you would not have otherwise. You're able to see things and understand things that the naked eye just can't get. That's the idea here. The Spirit comes to reveal things to us that we would not grasp, understand, or apply any other way. Secondly, the Holy Spirit comes to indwell us. Write down Ephesians 1.13 and John 16.13. And uh, I love this because it really emphasizes the personal quality of the Holy Spirit. You know, we talk about the Father, and we have a, so we have a familial category for that. And the Son, once again, yeah, I, I get that. And then the Spirit. What do you do with the Spirit? Why, what category do we put the Spirit in? Well, the Spirit is every bit God as the Father and the Son, which means every bit as relational as the Father and the Son. The Spirit is unique. There are three persons of the Godhead. Don't ask me to explain how that works, but it does. But you have a relationship with the Spirit. He's not like a spiritual vending machine that you just kind of go to and put in a few quarters and get something. The Spirit is meant to be the one with whom you intimately relate. And He is for you. He is your helper. He is your God. So the Holy Spirit reveals, Holy Spirit indwells, and then the Holy Spirit illumines. Um, this is a little bit different than revealing to us, and this relates to verse 13. The Holy Spirit actually helps us not only grasp the meaning of God's word, but then leads us in application, helps us to understand what difference does this make in my life personally. Uh, there are certainly universal timeless truths, but then I'm able to apply that very specifically to my life 
because of the help, the illumination of the Holy Spirit. Now, I realize I'm talking about things that probably sound kind of mystical, but here's the deal. It is. We're talking about spiritual life. This, this, there's really nothing else that we can compare it to. You are relating to an invisible God who has power in your life, through your life, and all around. And so in some ways, I would say to you as a Christian, you kind of need to get used to that. that. There is this unseen quality of our walk with God that's really important. Don't run away from that and don't diminish it. Engage it, embrace it, and this, this scripture will help inform you about how it works. So the Spirit, hugely important. Last word I want to mention is inspiration. And this relates primarily to the, to the connection of the Spirit with the Word. So write down 2 Timothy 3.16 and 17. All scripture, all scripture is inspired by God or God-breathed and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness so that the man or woman of God might be equipped. So the Spirit works in conjunction with the written, preserved, inerrant word to guide us into all truth. So therefore, if you take either of those ingredients out, the spirit or the word, you're in trouble. Got to have both. Also write down 2 Peter 1, 19 through 21. And in particular, I want to highlight one phrase in there. Paul, Peter says, um, you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. He's referring to the word, again, illumined by the Spirit. So, so really, think about your life as walking in dark places and the only light, the only light you have available to you is the Spirit and the word. And if you think you're gonna find your way in any other way, you're deceived, that's the way God set it up. Now, we walk in community, but even the nature of our community, if we're going to go in the right direction, it has to be in alignment with the Word, illumined by the Spirit. I know I'm repeating myself, but I, man, I just so need you to get that so that we can walk in. Remember, this, this whole thing is about division, this section of we want to walk in unity. Well, how do we do that? We rally around the Spirit, and the Word. And if we're all doing that, we walk in one accord. Finally, uh, number four there, human ability is subject to spiritual condition. I've alluded to this, but Paul is very explicit in verses 14 through 16. He says this, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. Verse 15, the spiritual person, so he's drawing a contrast, judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. Again, a believer has the spirit of God, has the word of God, 
that orients that person in a completely different manner to all of creation than to those who don't have those two things. It's a completely different orientation. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? In other words, if you have the Lord in you, the Lord doesn't need to be instructed. But we have the mind of Christ. That is truly the greatest gift you could ever be given, is the mind of Christ, to try and walk through this life and uh, have that as your guide. So, so Paul contrasts the natural with the spiritual, and really he's just drawing a contrast between believers and unbelievers. And he literally is saying, unbelievers do not have the capacity to understand the things of God without the help of God, the activity of the Spirit and the truth of God's Word. So where that brings an an interesting tension for us is, as believers, we're relating to a world that looks at the stuff that we believe and thinks it's a joke. They just don't get it, and it's okay. Like I don't think we ought to get all been out of shape about that. Maybe we ought to work less hard at trying to get the world to like us, to applaud us, to be our cheerleaders. You know, in America, culture has been pretty sympathetic to Christianity, but I think those days might be drawing to a close. And so what we really need to be thinking about is how can we take the wisdom that God has given us and use that to engage a lost world and do as Paul did and as that camp speaker did, no flash, no fireworks, no big fancy words, but just tell them the story. Make a whole lot of the message and next to nothing of the messenger. Just deliver the mail. What if we did that? And what if we did it in unity with each other? Wouldn't that be a powerful, powerful thing? Let me offer some application in light of this passage. And and Paul's going to get right back to addressing a lot of the very specific issues in the church. But this is good foundational equipping for all of us to think rightly about everything else that Paul is going to say Going forward, So here's some, some potential applications for your consideration going forward. Expect to appear foolish in the eyes of the world. I don't know how you like that, but I think that's the truth. Striving to gain their affirmation is a dead end. Resist leaning into the world for answers to life's most important questions. See, actually, as a Christ follower, you have the answers to life's most important questions. So offer that. Change the orientation of how you relate to the world around you. Immerse yourself in the things of the Spirit of God. I don't know anybody who has matured spiritually on accident. The the godliest people I know by grace, through faith, but they had a plan. They got up every day and they said, I'm going to devote myself to this, trusting that cumulatively God is going to use his word and his spirit and his people to change me 
and to help me grow. So make that a priority. Give thanks daily for the generous provision of God's word and his spirit. Like consciously make that a point to say, Lord, I'm so grateful that you would preserve this for me so that I wouldn't have to wander through life aimlessly. And thank you for giving me your spirit that guides me into all truth and helps me understand this. And then lastly, determine to follow the leading of the Spirit by grace through faith. It is simple obedience, but sometimes it it doesn't seem very simple, does it? If you're not sure about following the leadership of the Spirit or as Ephesians says, walking in step with the Spirit, please ask somebody. I'll be glad to talk with you about practical ways that you can get in the habit of following the leadership of the Spirit in your life. Please uh, give this some consideration. Take a few moments. We always ask the question, so what, at the end of a a message because what we want to do is we do want to apply whatever it is we've heard to our lives. So take a moment and we can just practice uh, listening to the Spirit right now. Ask the Holy Spirit to use what you've heard today to guide you into one next right step. Just one thing. Doesn't have to be big. Doesn't have to be spectacular. What's one way that you can walk in light of the things that we've talked about today? All right? Take just a moment and give that some consideration.